Everybody is getting to where uh, they're going this morning. I do want to um, to uh, maybe do a little housekeeping, bring a couple things before you that I wanted to mention to you very briefly before we get into the Word today. And first of all, that is uh, summer schedules. These are available in the foyer. Uh, if you would pick one of those up uh, on your way out, there are events throughout the entire summer uh, for you to be a part of and for your students to be a part of. And I say this because I, I want to specifically mention, um, you know, all those student ministry acronyms, but the, the MSM and the HSM calendar specifically, and then, of course, the NPK and the ESM calendar specifically were designed to give our students uh, different things to do, connection events, some of them are spiritual events throughout the summer. And uh, all of these were planned strategically, and we would like for you uh, to make sure your students particularly participate in as many of them as possible. And with that said, this past week, uh, we had a team that went uh, to the Barberville Pentecostal Youth Camp and led worship over there. We had some students that went with us. That is a tremendous camp, an awesome thing that's going on. Uh, there we have students that'll be leaving to, uh, th tomorrow morning going to our camp but uh, that was a great event for us to be invited to and to be a part of anytime how many know that anytime you can get over 500 middle schoolers and high schoolers together with the purpose to worship Jesus you've done a good thing amen so it, it was a great event so I just want to bring those things to you and I want to thank everybody that went to that one and was able to attend but I want to bring those before you and and make sure you pick up one of those schedules and make sure your students are involved in that because it'll be very good for them uh, this summer. Also, tonight, everybody say tonight. Tonight is corporate prayer. First of all, there's a VBS meeting at uh, 4 o'clock. I know they can use you if you can volunteer for VBS, but then at 5 o'clock, we're going to gather in this sanctuary uh, for prayer. One hour of prayer, just seeking the face of the Lord. That's what we're going to do together. And so I wanted to uh, let you know a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, some people say, well, what do you do when you do that? Well, I want to let you know there may be some things that you have not experienced before, and that's fine. But when you come tonight, uh, one of the things that you're probably going to hear is you're going to hear people speaking in tongues around this altar. Now, those of you that have cut your teeth on Pentecostal pews say, why do you feel like you need to say that? Well, everybody has not cut their teeth on Pentecostal pews. And there are two different kinds of tongues. One is your prayer language between you and the Lord. That's just between you and God. And then the other is the gift of tongues and the interpretation. Now, you may or may not hear that during the hour of prayer that we're here tonight. The gift of tongues and interpretation did manifest this morning in the 845 service. The Lord spoke to us directly. It was a great uh, word from the Lord, and we thank Him for that. But that's that's what we're gonna, you're going to hear. You're going to experience that tonight. But I want to encourage you to come. This is tonight is not about anything else except one hour of seeking the face of God together. Now, the day of Pentecost would have never came if all of the people were not gathered in one place, in one mind, and in one accord. Can I hear an amen? He wasn't talking about a Honda. How many knows he wasn't talking about a Honda? He was talking about being on one mind, one thought, one accord together. And the Bible says when they were, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. We need those kinds of experiences in the day that we live in. 
our kids need those kinds of experiences in the day that we live in. So bring your students, bring your family, come out tonight. We're going to spend one hour in corporate prayer around the altar. You don't have to dress up like you're attending church. Dress comfortably and casually as long as you're decent. And come in and let's spend one hour in prayer together. And then after that, if you have a student, they are going to the farm for a hangout. A couple other things very quickly that were on the video that I just want to make mention of. Jamie did a good job of putting, uh, fixing one of them in the video for us, but that's our Independence Day celebration. You've seen this advertised for a couple weeks that it was going to be on Wednesday, July the 3rd. But this past week, the city of Corbin announced that they were doing theirs on Wednesday, July the 3rd at the arena with two live bands and a $10,000 fireworks show. So we're not out to compete with the city of Corbin or try to prohibit you from taking your family to those. So we have moved ours to next Sunday night, and we have a very nice fireworks show that we're going to put off right here in the fields behind the church. Bring your camping chair. Come out at 8 o'clock. We're going to have a stage with some live music and a lot of fun games that students are going to be playing that I know adults will uh, enjoy watching. It'll be part of uh, what we do. They'll be up front. You'll get to see them do some of that stuff in between some of the singing. If you sing but don't normally sing in the choir, see Nicholas. He would love to plug you in and use you uh, next Sunday night. But it's going to be a great time of family fun together. We'll put our fireworks off at dark, uh, and then you'll be free to go home. Uh, it's a great time for us to get outside of these four walls on this parking lot and let people see us, let us mingle with people. You'll be surprised at the people that will just stop by wondering what's going on. So bring your camping chair, come prepared to eat some watermelon and some good stuff like that. We'll have a good time next Sunday night at 8 o'clock. And the last thing I want to mention before I preach, it's really hard to believe, and this is my fault this didn't make it to the announcement video because it's only two weeks from today, but it's hard for me to believe that we will be celebrating six years as a church in two weeks on Sunday, July the 7th. We're going to have a service like we always do, 8.45 and 11. There will be a dinner following the 11 a.m. service in the Fellowship Hall, and there'll be information next week on that as to how you can contribute to that and what to bring. So we want you to make plans, invite your family and friends to come out. It's going to be a special day. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for what I've seen God do in the last six years. Are you? Give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to read five verses of Scripture. The Lord has given me a different message once again today. As a pastor, it's a word that I feel like that I need to share with you. And the Spirit of the Lord completely confirmed that in our early service today. But I know that there's an entirely different crowd of folks that weren't here at 845 that need to hear what God has to say to you today. So if you'll stand with me all over the house, we're going to read five verses of Scripture in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be reading the Christian Standard Bible Translation. And Brother Lawrence got it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Paul was writing to Timothy and he said this. But know this. Hard times. Say hard times. Hard times will come in the last days. Say last days. Watch this. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, 
but denying its power. Avoid these people. Now when I read that this week, my first thought was, if I think it is hard for me sometimes to preach and proclaim truth, how do you think the Apostle Paul felt when he unloaded all of that in one delivery? I can guarantee you one thing he was not doing was running a popularity contest. He was more concerned with people's character than he was with their comfort. And that's what God has for us today because I believe we're living in a time, this is the title of my message today, where we have become too complacent, too comfortable, and too casual. If you will, pray with me and for me today. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you once again for the privilege and opportunity to be in your house and to worship you today. God, we thank you for your word. The writer in Hebrews said that it was quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing asunder, dividing the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. God, we thank you that your word sometimes will pierce us. It will cut us. It will... It will correct us. We thank you that all Scripture is profitable. It's good for reproof. It's good for rebuke. It's good for teaching. It's good for exhortation. So, God, today we take your word unconditionally, and we ask you to speak your word to us today, to anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, remove every distraction that would keep us from receiving the word of God in our hearts today. Because, Lord, if we receive your word, our lives will be changed. If we receive what you have for us today, we will become a different people because of your word. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you will, give the Lord one more hand clap of praise as you're seated today. A top government official of the United States once said, we appear to lack interest in the life or death problems these days and appear to lack the will to make the sacrifices that our safety calls for. We seem to lack any other objective than that of making life more easier and more enjoyable. John Noble, who was a prisoner for nine years in a Russian slave camp, said this, We are drowning in a sea of complacency. We simply do not even want to care. J. Edgar Hoover, who was the first director of the FBI, cautioned and said this, Blindness and lethargy toward the threats posed by subversive organizations have reached dangerous portions in many areas. This seems to be the attitude today that permeates our modern society. Men are living at ease against the backdrop of a spiritual crisis. How many know that our country, our nation, and even the church as we know it is in a spiritual crisis today? They have lost their capacity for being stirred by these things. And I'm afraid that this generation is living in a spiritual stupor. They are not fully aware of the seriousness of these times. This is the ease era that we live in. Where this generation, how many knows, I've said it before and I'll say it again, don't really want to work today. This is the era with a cry for 
Give me a great job with great pay, but I want a shorter work week, less to do, and a longer vacation. Somebody say amen. Do you know that was the same condition, though, that prevailed in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? If you read your Bible, you will find that the situation was that there was plenty of bread, but there was an abundance of complacency. And that in itself is fertile soil for wickedness and ungodliness and things that ought not be to grow in your life. A casual life, you might say, dominates most Americans today. As a matter of fact, it has gripped the entire world. In fact, casual living is the goal in this age. I want you to notice the advertisements, and the marketing. Casual living is the goal in this age. You know, when you see shoes advertised, most of the time they're advertised for what? For comfort. Everybody wants to buy comfortable shoes. Well, back in the 60s and 70s when uh, the Marilyn Monroe's and the other famous ladies, Elizabeth Taylor's, were wearing the stilettos, how many women can testify those ain't much comfortable? Hello. But today, we're advertising for comfort. We're advertising for casual things, you know. I remember that 24 years ago, when I got started in my banking career, almost 25 now, you had to wear a jacket and a tie every single day to work. And 13 years ago, I went to work for an organization, a wonderful organization, that had a casual dress code. We wear button-ups and khakis or polos and khakis every day. We don't have to wear the jacket. We don't have to wear the tie. We're so casual, in fact, that when I go to work, if I have on a jacket and a tie, I get asked one question as soon as I come through the door. They look at me and they say, oh, no, who died? Because our dress code is so casual. That's out of the normal. One year, we dress up every year for Halloween and have fun with that. One year, our bank president wore a suit and tie. They said, what are you supposed to be? He said, I'm dressed up like a bank president. We've become casual, casual wear, casual shirts for all kinds of casual and comfortable living. And this shows you the things, the type of things that appeal to this generation. I think we've also become too casual in the church. I'm not opposed to wearing shorts if what you've got to wear is shorts. But there shouldn't be anybody in the house that wants to sing, look at that girl with Daisy Dukes on. We become too casual. And we, you know, wearing clothes like that that look like you belong at the beach and holding coffee in one hand and holding it up and raising your other hand and lifting it in worship. Too casual. We don't revere the house of God anymore. We don't respect the house of God anymore. Ladies, girls, young girls, respect your body. You don't have to flaunt it just because you've got it. Leave something to the imagination. And there's nothing in itself wrong with casual dress. Don't misunderstand me because I preached that to you today in blue jeans on purpose. You you can tweet that. I preach it in blue jeans on purpose because there's nothing wrong with casual dress. But it does reflect the attitude of these times. I'm afraid, though, that the church has become too casual and I'm not talking about the way that we dress. According to the dictionary, the word casual means relaxed 
and unconcerned. How can we afford to be relaxed and unconcerned when people right around us are dying and going to hell every single day? How can we afford to be relaxed and unconcerned when our children are not in the house of God? When our loved ones are lost and we know it. Yet... There is no sense of urgency or no sense of emergency on our part. And the news, if you watch much of the news, is so filled today with accounts of loss of life, of disaster, of war, and of crisis that I believe that this generation has become callous and unmoved by the conditions that are around them. So I ask you today, where is, can somebody tell me, where is the spirit of sacrifice? Sacrifice is almost unknown. Living for pleasure and ease has caused us to sacrifice our principles. The materialistic concept of life has broken down the resistance of men and true conviction And people, men and women of true conviction and principles are few and far between. The spirit of a martyr, you might say, what is that? That's one who will stand for what's right and they're willing to seal it with their own blood. The spirit of a martyr is a rarity in today's society. And this is indicative of the state of ease that has gripped the people of our day. And I want to tell you, That being at ease is such a subtle thing that it grips one before he realizes it. And it will warp your values. It will blind your eyes. And it has the potential to damn your soul. Mag Saint, who was a missionary, wrote his parents shortly before his martyrdom, before his death, and he said this, I would rather die now than to live a life of oblivious ease in a sick world. And I want to tell you this, how many know this is a sick world that we live in? A world that is filled with both physical and spiritual sickness and disease. A world that needs a physician. In the words of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 5, Isaiah said, The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. But I want to tell you something this morning. There is still a balm in Gilead. Hallelujah. There is still a great physician that can heal all of our physical and spiritual ailments that we face and his name is Jesus Christ. The attitude of Meg Saint, though, is the right attitude for the church to have right now it's the same attitude that Queen Esther had when her nation was in danger of annihilation she went in before the king and her cry was this if I perish I perish you see the spirit of casualness that has dominated this age is not only a threat to our nation it's not only a threat to our economy but this same attitude is also found Right in the church. Right in the church. 
You see, the Christian's life is never a life of ease. Now, Pastor, wait a minute. Proverbs 13 and 15 tells us that the way of transgressors is hard. Yes, it is. But the life of a Christian is not always total ease. It's not always roses and daisies. It's not always sunshine. How many know sometimes it's rain? Anybody building an ark? It's not always total ease for the life of a Christian. But that is rightfully so. Why, Pastor? Because let me tell you what ease does. Ease breeds formality. And ease breeds worldliness. But the Bible says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Amos 6, chapter 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Zion represents the church. Woe be unto us that are living complacently, comfortably, and casually in the church. Because ease, let me tell you what ease is. It's a stumbling block to evangelism. Ease is an enemy to the progression of the church. And ease can also be a shortcut to hell. Wow, pastor, that's stern. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to where? And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? And how difficult, it's not always easy, the road that leads to life and few, few find it. Last week and this week, I have read scripture that has totally blown everything I've ever been taught in a church growth seminar. But here's the conclusion that I've come to. We can have hundreds or even possibly thousands. But what good are we doing if there are hundreds and thousands that sit on the seats every Sunday but only a handful that has found the road that leads to life and a few that have found the narrow gate? Because broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. You can attend church every Sunday. You can worship with the rest of us. You might even speak in tongues every once in a while, but you have yet to find the road that leads to life. And you have yet to find the narrow gate and the way therein. Why? Because we take it for granted. We're too complacent. We're too comfortable. And we're too casual. Church, the Christian experience is a fight. It is a conflict. It is warfare. And when a Christian ceases to fight and to make the sacrifices for battle, death, spiritual death, takes charge. Formality and worldliness have come to the church in these last days like a flood. How many knows that's the truth? And it takes effort 
It takes conviction and it takes power to war against it. But I wonder how many ministers have accepted it and merely labeled it as just the spirit of this age. I wonder how many church members have just flown up the white flag of surrender to the pressures of these times. I want to tell you, my friend, there is a tremendous pressure on those who are willing to stand for the right. How many times have you felt that you were standing alone and the pressure was almost more than you could bear? But thank God, there is a remnant that will hold on to the faith until the end. I said thank God, there is a remnant that will hold on to the faith to the end. I would rather live my life making you not like me but challenging you to make changes that will lead you to heaven than to lead my life worrying about how much you like me and never step on your toes and allow you to sit on these seats and go to hell. There is a remnant that will take hold of the faith, that will take the word of God for what it says, that are willing to recognize that this word is profitable for rebuke. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for instruction that the man of God or the woman of God may be fully furnished and equipped to make it in the day that we live. We need the truth of the word of God. And God will always have a remnant. Isaiah despaired in his day. And in Isaiah 64 and 7, he said, No one calls on your name, striving to take hold of you. In the days of Ezekiel, God said in Ezekiel 22 and 30, listen to this. He said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But... I found none. This has been the testimony in many apostate days. But God has always had a people that will arise to the task in critical times. Did you hear me? God has always had a people that will rise to the task in critical times. I'm going to say something I didn't say at 845, but I'm going to say it right now because I feel prompted of the Lord to say it. You know what? The devil would like to tempt me and make me think that if I say certain things and do certain things, I'm going to lose certain people along the way. But you know what? God will always have a remnant of people that will arise to the task in critical times. The devil likes to make preachers that preach truth think that the church is going to be destroyed, that it's going to collapse and it's going to fall under because somebody got their toes stepped on or somebody got aggravated over something. But guess what? This book promises me Jesus said I will build my church on the rock and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. The devil will not destroy the church. Did you hear me? I said the devil cannot destroy the church. God will always have a remnant that he can use to build the kingdom. So, in the middle of summertime, we're still running over 200 in services. 
had been running about 250, still well over 200. I told you last week there were 70-something texts that went out of people that were on vacation or whatever was going on. And there'll be a bunch I know that'll go out again after this weekend. But you know what? I'm reminded. I love every single one of you. Every single one watching my live stream. But I'm reminded of something. When God placed this burden in my heart to plant this church... There was only 42 people that gathered in a hotel room. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a name. We didn't have any money. We took up an offering to pay to rent the, the meeting room that we met in that night. 42 people. But guess what? Hundreds of souls later. A hundred baptisms later. Folks baptized in the Holy Ghost later. Over 330 members later. God will build His church. And He can do it with me or without me. He can do it with you or without you. Because God when God builds the church I said lest God build the church we labor in vain that try to build it God will always have a remnant we are living complacently comfortably and casually right in the light of the ripened harvest we are at ease right on the eve in this country and in this nation of destruction in the church we are asleep right on the brink of disaster. And I'm constrained to cry forth as Isaiah did. In Isaiah 52, 1 and 2, he said, Wake up! Wake up! Put on your strength, Zion. He's talking to the church. Put, on, put the church there. Wake up! Wake up! Put on your strength, church. Put on your beautiful garments, church. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer enter you. Stand up. Shake the dust off yourself. Take your seat, church. Remove the bonds from your neck, captive daughter of Zion. I want to tell you this morning, oh, if only the church of our day would wake up. If only the church of our day would shake ourselves from the settled, dry, dusty conditions of Christianity and loose the bands. Hear your pastor this morning of tradition I said loose the bands of tradition loose the bands of religion and this old world that have brought us into the captivity and rise up to the task that is before us I want to tell you something some of you ain't going to like it when I say it but I'm going to say it anyway tradition and religion are just as bad if not worse than worldliness I said tradition and religion are just as bad, if not worse, than worldliness. Because tradition and religion will cause you to get stuck in a rut of being more concerned with the how of the church than you are the why of the church. And if we ever stop becoming more concerned, if we ever become more concerned with the how of the church than the why of the church, we will stop growing, we will stop being effective, and the devil won't care how often you shout or speak in tongues as long as you're more focused on your personal preferences than we are about fulfilling the Great Commission. We don't need to be focused on the how, how we have church, when we have church, when 
we do this or when we do that. The last time I checked, this Bible doesn't say get together on Wednesday night at 6.30 and on Sunday morning at 8.45 and 11. It said forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, even the more so as you see the day approaching. Tradition and religion will stifle you. It'll get you stuck in a rut that you'll lose focus of the Great Commission. This is not a country club. This is not an entertainment center. This is not something about our personal preferences, but it's about lost souls and seeing them born. Oh, hallelujah. And seeing them born into the kingdom of God. My cry to you is arise, shine, for your light has come, he said in Isaiah, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. You see, living at ease is a natural tendency. It's something that we must war against continually. If y'all won't help me, the babies will. Hallelujah. It is time for us to shake our own complacency. It is time for us to get out of our comfort zones and get into our war rooms and seek the face of God until we hear from Him so that we'll know how to dress for the battle. Did you hear me? But how can we become so complacent in such critical times? In order to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance, I want us to look back to God's Word again. I want us to look at the same passage of Scripture that I opened with, but I want us to go two verses farther. And I want us to read it in the Amplified Version because I want you to see what it says and think about it, process it as we read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7 through in the Amplified Version. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble, anybody been stressed or troubled, will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused. Lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused. Everything ain't about you. I said everything ain't about you. And stop living your life thinking that everything that's said or done is taken personal and making it about you. Because everything is not about you. But in the last days, people will be lovers of self. They'll be narcissistic and self-focused. They'll think everything's about them. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane. When you can take the, the life of an unborn child, you're devoid of natural human affection. You are calloused and you are inhumane. Yes, I said it, and yes, I meant it. When you can take the life of a child one minute before it comes out of the, out of the womb, if it matters one minute after it comes out of the womb, what does it matter one minute before it comes out of the womb? You are inhumane, and you lack natural affection. 
whether you amen me or not. Some of you did, some of you didn't. That's okay. You vote your way, I'll vote mine. Hallelujah. Irreconcilable. Unwilling to reconcile. Unwilling. Malicious gossips. Proverbs tells us there's six things the Lord hates. But number seven is an abomination unto him. And that is he that soweth discord among the brethren. You better put your steel toes on right now. Because I'm about to unload. I'm about to unpack something on you. Sowers of discord among the brethren. When something happens that you don't like. Or something happens that somebody else does. When you pick up this phone and you call somebody and tell them about it. Or when you meet somebody and you tell them about it. Or when you text somebody and tell them about it. Or when you get on Facebook Messenger and tell them about it. Or when you get on Instagram DM, because that's what they do now, and tell them about it. You are sowing discord among the brethren. And I don't care whether you like me or whether you don't. The book says it's an abomination to God. Not only does he hate it, it's an abomination unto God. Don't do it. Don't be a malicious gossip. And don't sow discord among the brethren. Hallelujah. I'm glad this ain't pastor appreciation. I wouldn't get enough to gas up my truck today. Malicious, malicious gossips. Here's another one. Devoid of self-control. Known any of those people? Intemperate. Immoral. Brutal. Haters of good. Traitors. Reckless. Conceited. Lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God. Have you ever seen a more sensual time than what we live in? I mean, it's ridiculous when you have to put a half-naked woman on TV to advertise a hamburger. I, it's ridiculous. Now, everybody knows most men love greasy hamburgers, and most men, if they're normal, love half-naked women. Hello. But it's ridiculous. when you. Well, I mean, guys, if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Hello. I mean, it is what it is. Let's move on. But it's ridiculous when you can't watch TV without seeing a half-naked woman used to advertise a Hardy's hamburger. And our children are growing up in this generation. And they think that is normal. They think that is the way it's supposed to be. I told the 845 crowd, I liked Dolly Parton when I was little for obvious reasons. When I was a young boy. But I had to watch the Porter Wagner show just to get a glimpse of her. But today a Hardee's commercial comes on and everybody's half naked advertising a hamburger. What in this world? I'll tell you what it is. Lovers of sensual pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of outward godliness or religion. They go to church. I said they go to church. They worship the Lord. They talk the Jesus talk. They tell people, I'm saved. Jesus did this for me. Do you know Jesus? They'll even sit down at the bar next to people. 
Say, do you know Jesus? I got one better for you than that. There's a church in Louisville now. If you think it's bad that we serve coffee before both services and allow people to drink it all over the building, what would you think if we put a wet bar in the foyer and served before and after service? What in this world? People that go to church can sit down and have a drink before service and then sit down and have a drink after service. Having a form of godliness and religion, although, although they have denied its power. Watch this. For their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. You know what I've learned through the years? One of the reasons, and if you wasn't, if you've not been Pentecostal for 10 years, I'm not preaching to you. But you'll enjoy it. One of the reasons some people don't want anything to do with Pentecost is because they've heard too many people shout and speak in tongues in a church service, but go outside the walls and their conduct nullifies the claim that they have for faith. You might claim you have faith, but if you've really got the faith, it'll come out outside these walls as much as it will inside these walls. The purpose of the power of Pentecost was to make you a witness. It's not just so you can shout and speak in tongues all the time and have yourself a big time. It's, he said, I give you this power to make you witnesses to me to the uttermost parts of the earth. You witness by the way you live your life. You witness by the way you treat people when you leave this building. You witness by the way you treat people on your job. I know I'm preaching in where you're living right now. You live, you live your life out as a witness to God and that is what draws people into the house of God but it's also what has turned people away your conduct has nullified your claim of faith I've said it before and I'll say it again I don't care how much you speak in tongues if you're still mean in English it doesn't do anybody any good avoid such people avoid such people and keep them far away that sounds more like an account, and I'm about ready to close here in a minute. That sounds more like an account by some modern writer about where we're living today than it really does a Bible passage from over 1900 years ago. Do you agree with me? But Paul was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He looked through the telescope of time, and he saw the critical condition that would exist in these last days. And he gave this warning. And according to this prediction of Paul, there will become more perilous and more perilous times as we draw nearer to the coming of the Lord. Crime will increase rather than decrease because Paul went on down to say in verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. If we are aware of this, then we can account for the increase in crime that's in our day right now. Crime is increasing faster than the population growth nationwide. Did you know that? We live in ease because we're just not even aware that the increase in crime is a sign that we're living in the end of the age. See, my friends, the reason for the complacency, the comfortableness, and the casualness in the midst of times like this, I'm going to tell you why it exists. It's because men and women have lost the vision of the coming of the Lord. They fail to realize 
that everything's winding down and the end is closer than you think it is. In the words of Amos, Amos 6 and 3, he says, You dismiss any thought of the evil day and bring in a rain of violence. People today have tried to put destruction and judgment far into the future. But I'm telling you, it's closer than what you think. If they'll come to the music this morning. Church family and friends, I know we have some here that maybe haven't taken membership with the family yet. Your friends, you're here every Sunday. I'm talking to all of us. This evil day is at hand. And listen, we must prepare our hearts to face God. He's coming back. I believe He's coming back just like He said, as the old song says. So I want you to ask yourself honestly this morning. Be honest with yourself. This isn't between me and you or you and anybody else. This is between you and God. Are you living complacently, comfortably, and casually? even though we're living in such a serious time? Are we satisfied to just go to church? Or are we striving to be the church? Have you been unfaithful to your stewardship? I'm not just talking about money. Stewardship involves your time, your talent, and your treasure. Have you been unfaithful in your stewardship? Have you failed to carry a burden for the lost? I hope and pray this evening that we surround this altar and we ask God to move us with compassion for the lost around us have you lived for yourself and lived selfishly and neglected to do the things that God's word instructs us to do James 1 and 27 says pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 35 and 36 for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Can Jesus say those things about us? And can he say those things about our church? It's time to wake up. Today could be the day of the coming of the Lord of glory. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to meet God empty-handed. Listen, as your pastor, I'm going to close with this. I cannot emphasize to you how important it is that you learn to serve somewhere. Everybody needs to serve somewhere. Because I think you do know. Because Jesus himself gave us the ultimate example in Matthew 20. Jesus says it this way in verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them over and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whomever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many Jesus did not come to be served but to serve you don't come to church on Sundays to be served you should come 
to serve. When you come with the attitude to be served, I can guarantee you sometimes you won't like the service. How many knows what I'm talking about? The food will be too hot. It'll be too cold. It'll take too long to get it. The temperature won't be right. The music won't be good. Too loud, too soft, too spiritual, too dead. There'll be something about the service that you do not like. But when you come to serve, it's an entirely different outlook. In other words, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be a servant. You have to learn to share your life with others. And I'm closing with this. I want you to remember this scene in Luke describing the Last Supper. Jesus said in Luke 22, 19 and 20, He said, And He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is poured out for you. And eventually the meal is finished. They've taken the bread and they've taken the cup. After they've done both of those things, Jesus leaves the room. And he comes back. And when Jesus comes back to the room, he comes carrying a basin of water and a towel. And he proceeds to wash their feet. Now, now why? Why is Jesus doing that? In that day, most roads were dirt, and as people walked from one place to the other, they got their feet dirty. And as a result, if you entered somebody else's home for a visit, it was customary for you to wash your feet before you entered. Or if that family was wealthy enough, there would be a servant of that family who would wash your feet. But the master of the house never washed anybody's feet. That was demeaning. That was work that only a servant would do. So that's why in John chapter 13, we're told that Peter got so upset when he saw Jesus washing everybody else's feet. And he tells Jesus, no, you shall never wash my feet. Because in Peter's mind, Jesus was their master. He was their teacher. He should never disgrace himself in that way. But see, that was exactly the point that Jesus was trying to make. Jesus washed all of their feet and He said, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. As your pastor this morning, I want to challenge you to get serious about God's business. I've already said it. This is not an entertainment hall. Don't make it about entertainment. This is not a country club. Don't make it about socialization. Connection is good and we strive for that. Everybody needs to be connected to the family. But don't make it about that. Get serious about God's business and take up the towel of servanthood. It's time for all of us to do more than just go to church. It's time for every single one of us to learn how to be the church.